You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right, so the year that I was in grad school was pretty much as close to perfection as possible. Let me tell you about it. All right, so my school load was super light. And um, because I was getting a master's education, I had a lot of classes with teachers. So all of my classes had to be like after school time in that like four to seven range. So I had like one class a day, which gave me all kinds of time to get an easy part-time job, to make some extra money, to do all kinds of stuff with iLife, be on teams and go to all these meetings. And then I had time all night to just hang out with small group, hang out with friends, do whatever I felt like. And it was great. I loved it. So with all of my time, my, my service in iLife and just my ability to be creative exploded. I joined what was then like the Sunday morning service team. And after leading small groups for like four years, I started coaching and I started head up women's ministry team and I just loved it. Yeah, kind of fun. Um, I was, I was loving living with my best friend for the third year. It was great. We had our cute little apartment. I got three job offers to teach in Champaign. So I kind of got my pick of what I wanted to do. And to top it all off, I was dating a great guy. I could have just stopped at dating. I was dating, but I was dating a great guy who was just the best because he was on staff with Alina Life. So he was super holy. He's actually the one that told everybody to point to me in that picture, which is just awkward in all kinds of ways, But because um, it was before we were dating. But then, sort of as I transitioned from school into the working world and into just the rest of life, kind of like when you have a little like thread and you pull it, everything started to kind of unravel for me. So, I mean, I was a first-year teacher, so you have the normal things that you think of with first-year teaching of, like, oh, that's hard. But there were some things that just made it even more complicated in that, like, right before the school year started, my principal asked me to do him a favor and go from being just a regular, like, classroom English teacher to being the reading specialist because he was in a tight spot, and I had a master's degree in this, and I said, um, sure, because you just hired me, um, so thanks, okay. Um, but that was tricky because I ended up sharing a classroom with, let's just say it was a mess of a situation. It was a lady that was close to retiring. She was a little crazy, crazy classroom. I couldn't decorate it. Um, I had six, seventh, and eighth graders. I had seven different classes with seven different preps. Um, and because I was sort of a runoff or a specialist, I just got all of the worst behaved kids like dumped off in my classes. And the whole point of why I chose to teach in middle school was to be on a team of teachers because I was nervous about getting started in my career. And because of the job that I was doing, I was no longer on a team. I was sort of just on my own. And I remember, I mean, just like my lunchtime did not line up with anybody else's. So I remember like eating my lunch at my desk while the other crazy teacher was teaching her crazy class and just being like, this is, this is sad not what I thought. So that was work stuff, and and church stuff changed a little bit too. After I had been used to leading small groups and just loved it, was super passionate about it, got a lot of value in it, um, 
I didn't have an opportunity to lead anymore. The guy that I was leading with up until that point, he decided he just didn't have the space to do it in his life. And so um, instead of finding another co-leader, the like pseudo staffer that was our coach at the time said, I'll lead it, but I only want to lead it if I'm by myself. So I kind of got kicked out of that job a little bit, which was fine, but it was hard because I got a lot of joy out of doing that. Now, I chose to, to stay in Champaign and get a job here because I wanted to stay in iLife community. I thought that was a way to sort of avoid some transplant shock and all the other stuff that happened. So that's good, right? Well, my inner circle kind of blew up. Um, then I had friends move away, which I anticipate when you graduate, but I didn't anticipate just how tricky or hard it would be, especially um, just you always think you're going to stay in touch more than you do, you know? Um, so I had friends move away, and I had a lot of friends fall away, specifically from church and from their faith. Some, it was a, kind of that gradual fade that you expect of like, oh, all of a sudden I'm busy and I have all these priorities, and you just start to see them less and less and less expressed. But I had this whole other pocket of friends that I totally just didn't anticipate that chose to walk away from our church, from our faith. It was really hard super hard, and I didn't anticipate how many friends would end up doing that. Some verging on alcoholism, others just like sarcastically hostile to our church and our community and our faith and the things that made us friends to begin with was rough. My very best guy friend, um, he was was like awesome, you guys, like a small group leader and super invested. He interned with our movement. Well, he began struggling with some physical problems that the doctors just didn't have answers for. And so his physical problems led to just some mental health problems. And those led to just disappointment in God, where he's just angry and hurt. And as he started to reject God and faith, he also started to reject our friends and our community. And so I just remember watching him, like, slowly cut off friendship after friendship after friendship after friendship. And I was one of those last ones. It was hard. I remember sitting with him in the basement of the house of guys they lived at at the time and just holding his hand, not knowing what to say, and just being so sad that even even this friend was falling away from the faith. That boyfriend that I had, well, he totally broke up with me, <laughs> which was really heartbreaking um, on some extent with him. But it just in general, it was it was hard because I was back into this intense loneliness and longing before the Lord. Um, for that nine months that we had dated, that was the only time I had dated up until then, and it was the only time I was going to date someone until I was 26. And for those ladies that were at the Women's Weekend earlier this year, you got to hear a lot more of my story in that area. But um, just this idea of loneliness and singleness was such a deep struggle and an immense pain, and all of a sudden that was getting piled back on top of all this other stuff. And that best friend... Well, she got engaged and married, which it seemed like everyone my age was doing. They were doing, like, getting married right out of school. It's crazy. Like, literally, me at the time, me and um, my friend Stacy were the only two single women that weren't students in our entire church for, like, a while. It was rough. So she got married. She moved out. And all of a sudden, I went from, like, this intense, every day we're living together sisterhood to, like, like I'm scheduling appointments and now it's been a couple weeks and just I'm seeing you less and less and our 
priorities are changing, our responsibilities are changing, where we're headed is changing, and there's just strain on that friendship. She had gotten some advice to, as she was getting married to hang out less with her single friends and hang out more with married people, which is, you know, whatever. But it was devastating to me because, one, I felt like I was losing her friendship already. But then, two, I didn't want to be single. I would gladly have been married and hung out with her, you know? Um, so it was just hard because, in fact, her and her husband, like, they went, um, they left our small group that we had been in for forever. We had grown up spiritually together, and they joined another small group to be with another married couple, and that was just hard. I eventually, just to, like, keep the friendship going, joined that one, um, but it is tricky. I felt like for the first time um, since first semester freshman year, I wasn't leading a group. Um, I didn't know a lot of people in that group. It felt lonely. It felt like my one friend connection, like, was just sort of changing. I think I desperately, desperately was struggling with, like, value and purpose and wanted people to see, like, I'm helpful and I have experience and I'm fun and I'm valuable, but I feel like they didn't. And so I just felt really hurt. And so, like, systematically, all of these things felt like they just kept being taken away I didn't anticipate. Even in my family, there was a little bit of um, family drama with with my sister, which was really hard because that was just another person. So I had that close guy friend, my best friend, and my sister, three closest people to me, um, where our just relationship got strained. And it just felt uh, another relationship where there's tension, another thing that's changing. I refer to these, like, years as my dark years. And I actually really don't like to talk about them. Because I, I'm afraid that I, if I t- think about it too much, like I can get sucked back into a lot of the emotions that I was feeling at that time, if that makes any sense. It was about three years of just really painful change and painful experiences that left me kind of de- depressed and wanting to shut out all of this bad stuff. But you guys know how it goes. When you shut out bad, you also shut out all of the good stuff too. My heart was a wreck. Just shut down, hurt. I was sinning. I was being sinned against. And yet, I would never, ever, ever trade it. Turning 30 was super easy to me because I was so proud of my 20s, which is funny after I gave you that, like, little sob story. But, guys, my 20s were all about seeing the Lord's promises claimed, about intimacy with him and, like, learning who he was and learning who I was with him as opposed to who I was like, outside of him or when I ignored him. It was, like, a full decade of a lot of hopeful but hard change where there was huge faith leaps and there was some faith jumps and there was some faith hops and probably some faith shoves, actually, really. Um, I love that decade of my life, and I'm super proud of it because as best as I could, I feel like my intention really was to cling to the Lord. Staying sort of messily at times, fervent as possible, continually choosing over and over and over again to live in his truth and in his kingdom rather than mine that was kind of shattered and splintered. So we're in this series called Adulting. And um, essentially we're talking about major life transformations and sort of how to handle those. Now, yes, it is totally for you seniors that are graduating and moving away, and I hope so much that it has been really helpful for you guys. 
has given you some handholds. But I think it's for all of us because things like loneliness affect all of us, right? And like trying to stay spiritually alive affects all of us. And I kind of want to envision you guys, if you haven't thought about it already, to hear some of the things in this series in light of your summer. Because we're all about to go into a, a transition to some extent from school year to summer. So Russ talked about transplant shock that first week, and we're, I mean, we can all experience it, and we're about to, different environments, different communities, different expectations, different work, different pace of life, and he encouraged us not only to just survive a change, but to actually grow in it actively. And Wayne last week talked about loneliness, and he inspired us with his personal story and the story of Joseph in the Bible, and he gave us these little handholds on what to do when we're encountering loneliness, specifically emphasizing that we hold tightly to Jesus. And today, just following that, I want to talk about how to stay spiritually alive and fervent, not just in our change, but for the long haul. So a little note about the notes. So you guys got a note sheet when you came in, and we've been doing a note sheet with this series, which I love. It's probably the teacher in me. Um, But an encouragement for you guys. It's not a regular note sheet with, like, a bunch of blanks. In fact, there's only one blank in the whole thing. Um, But here's my encouragement. I would like you to listen to things that stand out to you. Thoughts, ideas, um, concepts, like, stuff that you're hearing. Just Just jot everything down that stands out to you, little things here and there. And then maybe it's during the response to worship time after this, or maybe it's way after this. To sit down with that sheet, see what you wrote, see what stood out, and then ask, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And then maybe if you hear something from that, to follow up with, God, what might you want me to do with whatever it is that you're saying to me? All right, so Romans 12, 11 are the, the verses that are just meaningful to me and um They fit in spiritual fervor. So let me give you a little bit of context. Paul is writing a letter to the Romans, and right before this, there's a whole section on serving as the body. So serving in church is essentially what that means. And he kind of flows into this next section and called like love in action. And it might that might even be like the little subtitle in your Bible. I want you to take note that this encouragement to pursue spiritual fervor is swaddled. It is wrapped tightly in the context of being in community of the church. Okay, I'm going to repeat that again. I'm not going to have a lot of time to talk about being in the community of the church. I feel like lots of people before me have done that. Um, But I really want you to know that in the context that he's encouraging people to stay spiritually fervent, it's all wrapped around this whole section of loving and serving and caring for other people, specifically in the church. All right, verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. All right, spiritual fervor, spiritual vibrancy. He says, serve who? The Lord, exactly. The Lord, he is the goal. He is the point. He is in charge, and he has the power to do it. No God, that is your one blank, no God. That is how you stay alive fervently. Fervor is active, it is vibrant, it is moving. You actively know God. Life is messy. 
we mess up, others mess up, circumstances change, emotions get complicated, right? There's disappointment and there's contentment. There's love and there's loneliness. There's hope and there's despair. You are killing it and you are a shameful failure at the same time. Life is a huge tangled mess and I'm sure that you get this. I'm sure that you feel this. But guys, if, if, you got to choose what you believe. If Jesus is who he says he is, and if he raised from the dead with the power to redeem all of life, then guys, we shouldn't just pay attention to him. We shouldn't just, just plan a verse of the day for a little Bible boost or to get good or wise wisdom to just make our life easier or a little emotional vitamin to make us feel better. We shouldn't just pursue church and community to be supportive, but we should cling to him with desperation. Know God. These other things are great, but know God. Knowing someone is very different than knowing about them, right? Learning about God is very different than knowing him intimately and deeply. Being involved in a bunch of activities is very different than your character being refined. Having a hobby of church things is different than having a Christ-like life. Are you following with me here? Is my chief end knowing God, or is it church involvement? Is it a wise lifestyle? Guys, confession. At points, my fervor, my earnestness, my zealousness has been for my purpose and my value and accolades that I get from Christian culture because I just know how to do it well, and I like it. But at others, it really is a genuine fervor for the Lord himself. And let me tell you, and I hope that you know this for yourself, that when I can forget myself and fix my eyes on him, life is so much richer, so much more meaningful, so much more life-giving and life-changing. So much of my anxiousness and my fearfulness and my apathy, it just sort of fades when I'm pursuing the Lord for the sake of knowing him and not just working towards my plans and ambitions and aspirations, even if they're spiritual ones. One of the biggest questions, and this is, this is like a huge lie that Satan can kind of twist around. So one of the biggest questions that I need to check myself with a lot is, Am I really, really, am I really trying to follow Christ? To have a vibrant relationship with him? Or do I just like and benefit from the Christian lifestyle? Knowing God is the mark. All of these other things are tools or blessings from it. But knowing God is the mark. So as you think about um, you're planning your summer, your transition, and you're thinking about your spiritual fervor. Is the goal for you more information or is it more transformation? Is your aim to get like little emotional and spiritual hits to sort of keep you interested? Or is it the purpose and the process of your life to be transformed into Christ's likeness? All those friends of mine that, that fell away who didn't fan the flame, 
this firmness to me. I tend to think the biggest reason why people fall away, let the flame go out, is because they misunderstand God. And therefore, they miss truly knowing him. They get bored because I don't think that they get God or confuse him for other things, maybe. They're only looking for little vitamins of help or wisdom as opposed to looking for a savior or looking for a king. They feel like God maybe broke promises to them, but I'm not sure if they understood what those promises were, myself included in that. They feel disappointed by the version of God in their heads than what actually he is in truth. Our chief end every single time has to be to just know God way more fully than how he just relates to my circumstances and my feelings, as important as those are. To keep your fervor, to run the race, to fan the flame, preach into myself, fix your eyes on Jesus, to know him. If we look back at those verses in verse 11, Paul like lists things that sound really good, right? They sound churchy and they sound right. And I don't know if you guys can do this, but I can kind of like breeze through and be like, all right, these things sound like Jesus-y stuff. Check, check, check. Moving on. Got it. But when I pause, when I actually like think about those words and drink in what they're saying, they're super meaningful and they totally jive with my experience of trying to stay uh, fervent in the Lord. Okay, so just acknowledge it. So much of this adulting series is supposed to just be helpful and practical, okay? So much of what we have shared, Russ and Wayne and I, have just been our personal experiences. And I hope that you see that as worship, that we are celebrating and sharing with you guys the stuff that God has done in our lives and helps us to learn. So here are some things that, I have learned a little bit as we relate to these next, like, encouragements of Paul. The first one he lists is hopeful, or, um, joyful in hope. So something that I find particularly hopeful in pursuing the spiritual fervor with the Lord is holding on to seeing God right now, like my pursuit of God right now, and in the bigger picture at the same time. Okay, here's what I mean. Transformation is over a lifetime. Coin after coin after coin after coin after coin after coin after coin in the bucket that just keeps building. All right, there are things that God is working on in me and in you right now that he's doing in us that we're learning that are going to be building for us down the road. I just find that super encouraging to think about. In the book, The Making of a Leader, um, which I read a while ago, the author suggests that there are generally about five major phases or trends in a Christian leader's life. And I kind of have them listed up here. Um, phase one being sovereign foundations, that's sort of like learning about God, salvation, that sort of thing. Inner life growth, a ton of character stuff. Ministry maturing, life maturing, convergence. There's so much that I could say about all of this stuff. But for the sake of time, I just want to point out to you, um, as it was reading in this book, and I, I'm really curious as you look at that, what sort of phase you might put yourself in. But he's suggesting that, Most of us in this church, in our 20s, and even those of us in our 30s, are only in probably phases one or two. That we're learning to pursue the Lord. That we're growing in our experiences, in our character, and in our skills of following the Lord. 
these phases, you know, take them for what you will, but they tend to be decades long, slow, probably slower than we want, but deep and genuine transformation. He points out that most people don't experience this phase five convergence, which is like the full coming together of like your gifts and your passions and your abilities and your ministry until age 50 or 60, if you ever experience them at all. Now, this stuff isn't always linear, right? But I'm inspired by this concept of lifelong discipleship. I think it's a beautiful picture that it's painting and a good reminder for me. I can find so much hope in it. Some of you guys might be discouraged by that, but I find hope in it, and here's why. Because, one, it takes the pressure off me needing to answer what is my calling and the purpose of my life at age 22, or realistically 21 as you're trying to plan for when you're 22 and graduating. Like this feeling like I have to have my relationship with God and my involvement in his mission completely figured out. It takes that off. The other thing that I love about it and find encouraging is I think it's really exciting to think about what I know of God right now, how he's rescued me, how he's been made known to me, the promises he's shown me, the gifts that he's given me, and the the prayers that he's answered, to think about that now and then think about that it's only going to get better as I keep going. This may strike you as a little bit funny, but I can think like, okay, I'm I'm a good small group leader now. But guys, if I'm like, keep going with this when I'm 50 or 60, I'm gonna be awesome, right? Like, I just find that so encouraging that it's not like a a formula or like a one and done, that there just keeps being more and more and more when you make your aim to know God. I love it. Do you wanna stay spiritually vibrant? Aim to start by growing in your kingdom skills, right? Commit to growing in your Christ-like character now. Learning to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, serving and leading, pursuing authentic community, trying out new things, not for the sake of all that themselves, although it's good, but all with the goal of knowing Christ. And all those other things are benefits. So the next thing Paul mentions is patience and affliction. So patience in like the pain filled cross. Well, this is one that was definitely a thing for me, as you heard my little like sad story, right? But remember what I said about life being messy. You guys already know this to be deeply true, I am sure. So much of life is just more disappointment and grieving than I want or than I anticipated. Last week, I was thumbing through um, the most recent edition of Relevant Magazine. I think it was like sitting around our office or something. And I landed on these two pages up here. The first is like on that blue side. It's a striking statistic. It says 43% of churchgoers drop out of church life in their 20s. 43%. Sad. Super sad. But that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? How to keep your fervor for the Lord and not become a statistic. But the page across from this ad also caught my attention. I don't know if you can see it, but the article title is Perfectionism is Fueling a Millennial Mental Health. And the connection of these two pages was striking to me. Because I think perfectionism just slops all over our spiritual fervor. Unrealistically high expectations of ourselves, of others, of our life, of our circumstances. Now, these are all things that sort of glitter and pull our attention away to, other, to pursue other things with perfection. 
But I think perfectionism can also be a problem in our spiritual walks too. Because, and here's why, I wish I get uncomfortable even saying that because I'm like, no, try, try, be good. But um, here's why. Because are our perfectionistic expectations of ourselves, of those we're around, how your life is going, are they actually in line with God's word? Or are we adding to them or editing what God says? Remember that disappointment and misunderstanding God can totally just wipe them out. Life gives us so much pain anyway, guys. Let's be careful not to add needlessly to it ourselves. Here's an example. I am way too good. I am like excellent, excellent at spiraling like an uncomfortable situation into a crazy huge problem, right? Like I'm, I'm perfect at this. But learning to check my expectations of others, specifically other Christians I'm around, and my expectations of my circumstances and even some of mission, right? I can more fully choose to live in the joy of God's truth rather than my overblown anxiety. There is so much I could say about patience and pain, but two huge things that God used in my life that I want to share with you guys to just keep, keep going on the race, especially in the darkness of affliction and the things that were painful. One, learn to grieve. There will be change. There will be loss. For those of you graduating, the loss can probably seem to be adding up really quickly from your purpose and your identity as a student for like essentially your whole life to your structure, your ways of organizing your time, those loans that are going to start becoming due, like the, the financial safety net that you had is changing, your access or privilege as students um, is changing, even, even in church, right? Like we talked about, you've heard a lot about how you maybe are not pursued as much in a community church within a campus life. For me, just hands down, the most profound loss was in relationships, friendships. Do you think about how to grieve when change happens? I don't like to, but do you? Or do you fixate on how to fix it? Or do you shut down so you can shut it out? Guys, you need to learn to give yourself space to grieve. I'm speaking to myself. To acknowledge change and loss, to reflect, to be sad, to celebrate before you move on. To say goodbye healthily to things so that they don't get buried and then start germinating all kinds of stuff in the dark. Grieve with God. Grieve with others. Share your feelings and your worries. And then trust and obey. Trust who God is. Trust what he says. And trust it more than, even if it is just slightly more than, your feelings and your worries. The other thing with this, with patience, that's a huge thing for me, is choose to be sent wherever you are. Like, life didn't just happen. Your circumstances didn't just happen. Choose that to have the mindset of, I am sent wherever I am right now. Don't get too caught up in thinking about the next or what might be better, especially in a hard season. When I think particularly of you guys that are going really quickly now here towards graduation, I want to encourage you to not get too caught up in these big questions of calling and purpose. 
I've learned to try to replace my thinking with more vibrant and fervent questions. So for example, instead of asking, what is my purpose? I feel like patience in the Lord says, how can I be purposeful here? Or what is my calling? I feel like patience says, how is God calling me here right now? And I guarantee you, he'll take care of the future stuff as you go. This, this stuff was key for me in big things, in big life changes. Specifically, um, like as I spent years contemplating, should I still be in teaching or should I go to full-time ministry? But it's this, this mindset of being sent where you are right now is helpful for me in my everyday life now. How can I be purposeful here? What is God calling me to now, right here? The last thing is faithful in prayer that he mentions in the verse. The best thing that I ever did, hands down, to stay spiritually alive is learn to pray. Authentic talking and listening to God, real, conversational, just like any other relationship. Sharing and being known myself, listening and trying to understand the other. Being known and knowing. Growing in my comfortability to talk to God with honesty and with freedom, learning to listen to him in my thoughts, in his written word, in um the words of other believers around me, and learning to listen to what he's saying and be teachable to it. The most important thing for me in this practice of prayer was journaling. Classic, right? But it's so true. Writing out my thoughts to God, it's essentially verbal processing just on paper. Going to him, this is key, going to him first with my thoughts and feelings. Then go talk about what I said. But going to him with my thoughts and feelings, unloading and pouring myself out so that I could make room for him to fill me up. Sometimes I would start not knowing at all what to say. I would just make myself right, but that stuff always came. It always came. There's something so helpful about taking swirling thoughts that are up here or thoughts and feelings that you're trying to stay buried, consciously or unconsciously, down here, and taking them all out and giving them to the Lord. It might be really pathetic, and that's totally okay. I am comfortable with this. But I filled so many journals talking to God because in my loneliness, I felt like I didn't have anybody else to talk to. Or at least that wasn't always available like God was. I didn't have to, like, make an appointment for. My prayer life, yeah, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down to the basement and get that box out and take a picture. Those are just journals. Um, now that you're like, wow, well, my prayer life actually tanked, tanked when I got married to Alan. Suddenly, I had somebody to talk to who was usually around, right? But guys, it's not even close. It's not even close to talking to the Lord. Even at his very best, most ideal listening skills in the most ideal and perfect of situations, Alan cannot listen to me or talk to me or share intimacy with me like my maker can. There's a knowingness that is there with God that you can never experience with another person. 
And even better, there is a power that God has to actually do stuff about the things that you're talking about that other people just don't have, right? God recenters. God speaks truth. God renews minds full of worry and hearts full of longing. If you never, I I know I'm speaking in extremes, but if you never do anything else as a Christ follower in your lifetime, I would encourage you to just learn to hear what is God saying to you. If your sole aim is to stay in step with the Spirit, to be able to hear what God is saying to you and what he might want you to do about what he's saying, guys, that's being a Christ follower. That is staying fervent in your spirit. That is vibrant and that is alive. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to start making their way up here. I can't underscore enough, though, that the Holy Spirit is the power to stay spiritually fervent, to stay alive, to stay vibrant. You cannot do it with a plan. You cannot do it with willpower. Just like Jesus came to bridge that gap between us and God that was created from sin and death so that we could be reconciled, the Holy Spirit came to bridge that gap so that we can hear God and be empowered by him. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads, who empowers, who transforms. In your small group this week, some of you got the chance to discuss a passage in Galatians, and I I just hope that you guys were able to talk about how essential the Holy Spirit is to leading vibrant lives with God. The Holy Spirit is how we know God. It's how we see and feel that hope. He is the power to be patient in the pain, and he is our ability to talk and hear from the Lord. Speaking of, will you guys talk with him, to, with, to him now with me? Dear God, 